Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And with me tonight, Lisa Marie Platsky. Is it okay if I call you Lisa Marie or just Lisa or L or what do you, what do you like, Lisa? Russell, I'm going to let you decide. I like them both. The Elster. That would be great. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about where you are in the world, because I can I can tell by the accent you're not from these fine shores. I'm not. And I live in the United States of America. And currently I'm in the state of Kentucky, which oh. I have not been. It's been a year and a year and like 11 days that I've been here. Really? Why is that? Have you moved there, have you? So moved here because it was a it was a, a God nudge is the best way I can put it, because it was not a place I was looking to move to, and it wasn't a place that I was and I wasn't looking for a move either. Wow, how fascinating. Well, you better t- tell us something about yourself and what it is that you do. Well, moved to Kentucky on a farm now, which is a oh. beautiful beautiful just I just can't even I just pinch myself when I look outside at the the 86 acres that my husband and I have and that's a big part of the journey because I have a leadership coaching and development company and so on the farm I offer corporate retreats and work for leaders to be able to come and do their own leadership work both as individuals as well as in groups and um the work that I do is really about impact. I'd say that's the bigger part is as an individual, I believe that most people want health, happiness, success, and meaning in their life. Meaning comes from contribution and the desire to make a bigger difference. So that is, uh, that's the work that I do. Uh, this seems to be, it seems to be a theme, doesn't it? It's, I mean, people talk about this all the time, this, this bigger than myself thing. Uh, where, I mean, where, where's this coming from, do you think? Yeah, bigger than myself. I, I really love that. And and for, for me, it's, um, I, when I, I've been involved in leadership for all, for probably about 30 years now and, and uh, had my business for the last 18. And originally, my journey was thinking that leadership was very much a, a tactical journey. You know, you hire, you fire, you you work in culture and um, 
change. And I, you know, I noticed for yourself, even as you speak about, you know, the, the soft side in, in your own personal bio, what I recognized over time is that leadership is a very personal journey. And when one doesn't take that journey personally, and it's simply about the tactical, there is a, a there's something that's missing. And so when you ask about like, where, where does this idea of meaning and making a difference and the other and the group, it, 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 for me came that I was interviewing leaders, uh, you know, what it is that they did to be successful when I wanted to start my own business, uh, um, 18 years ago and, and came up with these seven pillars of leadership. And I really thought that when I had these interviews, that it was about the tactical and recognized that each of these in leaders took the journey themselves, um, around planning and understanding their personality and creating partnerships. And I, I believe that, you know, that sense of, um, the collective, um, and, and and almost feeling an emptiness when the focus is solely on the self, uh, uh, you know, comes from recognizing that, you know, we are part of the greater fabric of humanity. We are um, what behaviors I engage in, you know, affect you, even though you're across the pond and vice versa in how we think in our, in, in how we, in, mm, in, in, in the actions that we take. And so I, I believe that um, when somebody engages in their own leadership journey and they come, they, they come to this awareness. Um, and, and so there's more conversation uh, as people move up that, you know, that hierarchy of basic needs once those are met. Yes. Um, so We've talked about quite a lot of that. Let's just unpack some. I'm of that. sorry, so, I no, apologize. Don't, don't have to apologize. I'm just a, it's nice a statement of facts. It's good. Um, so tell us about the seven pillars, first of all, because that's always interesting. Uh the seven pillars of leadership. Like I said, I just interviewed people. I I I mean, I had a criminal justice background. I was in federal law enforcement. So this desire to go into business was not one that was innate for me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think that I was ever, you know, I didn't know anybody who owned a business. I didn't know anybody who was in business. And my, my family was, uh, you know, uh, blue collar workers and my mom was a nurse. So as I started to interview people, I really wanted a shortcut in business. You know, what, what do the best leaders do and, and how do they do it? And, and, and can this shorten my learning curve? And these seven pillars came from themes that I, that showed up and they all start with P. I just did that for ease. That's handy. Uh, start with a written plan, understand it understand the end in mind. That was the yeah. start with the written plan. And every leader did that. And it wasn't these complicated plans. It was very simple ones. Number two was understand your personality. Yeah. Uh, what uh, hinders your plan and what will, will allow your plan to, to propel you forward. And so each of these leaders had a, a deep understanding of their areas of strengths and what allowed them to thrive and what they needed that would get in the way. Yeah. The third was creating um, powerful, effective partnerships. 
And this came from an understanding of connecting, even whether or not they, whether or not, not even, whether or not they liked the person or not, you know, and I say that in air quotes, really more, how do I connect with others to then build bridges? And so that was a big part of, of um, pillar three. Pillar four was live your priority. And this idea of priority that uh, the word priorities, you know, was created in the 1980s and there's no such thing as priorities. You can have a priority. Priority means number one and therefore you know, what is the one thing that you are moving towards? And I found that what was so interesting about the dialogue that I had with these leaders was that for myself, recognizing that every time you make a decision to say yes to something, you say no to something else simultaneously. And while that's sometimes talked about in organizations, to really put that in a very literal fashion is, by me being here with you, I'm saying no to my husband. I'm saying no to my to to anything else that's going on in my life right now to be present here and to understand that sum of choices. Pillar number five is creating a, a meaningful and memorable presence. And so this idea of presence comes from being present and here, not distracted, as well as to being gratitude for what is, as well as the positioning, the art and science of positioning expertise. Um, so that was, you know, encompassing in that pillar. Pillar number six was evaluating your progress. This was a pillar of profit and a pillar of uh, examination, but not daily, not examination that sometimes happens in organizations where it's a once a year annual review, rather a daily check in to moving closer to the plan or or further away. Yeah. Uh, and pillar seven was investing in personal and professional development. And so each of these leaders really invest they took time away to invest in themselves and not only invest in industry standards of excellence rather individual investment in what they needed to do better to be a better listener to be a better uh, to be more effective communicator to be more effective in their own physical you know uh, um wealth and well-being so that you know the gamut of that that's interesting um when did you come up with that? Those I with those seven. So that was eighteen years ago. So what's so changed? So we have to do we have to do the math. <laughs> yeah. So what's changed? So in eighteen years, what's developed? What's changed? What what should be left out? What should be what, what could be new? What's what's the eighth going to be? I mean, yeah, Stephen, so Stephen I... Covey did this, didn't he? He knocked onto the eighth. <laughs> Uh, whatever it was, it was quite weak, but uh, value was something weird. So I don't know that it's, it's not necessarily an eighth. What it is for me is that what I wanted to know when, you know, over time was what do the best of the best. So if, if this is something that successful leaders do, was there something different that the top, like, 0.0001% 0.0001% did, you know, what, what was that? And so I um, had three, and what I call is like, those are the courageous leaders. You know, those are the leaders that against the odds go out and do the unthinkable, the unfathomable. What, what about those leaders? And there were three elements of courageous leadership. And these elements that were um, were were vision, vulnerability, and voice. And um, what would what came up around them was 
how, how do you get to that? Lots of people talk about vision, but why, you know, why is vision? And it was this hidden element of clarity, uh, like a clarity that was so, of course, we're going to do this. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm so clear. Not that all the how was outlined, but that the, the, the vision was just, you know, when I think about uh, um, Elon Musk going, of course, we're going to do this in space travel. And of course, like there is this, I'm not saying that I would, that is not, I'm not saying that that is, you know, that he is the epitome of the courageous leader. That's, I'm not, um, I'm not saying whether he is or whether he isn't. I'm just saying like that depth of clarity to mm -hmm. say, you know, absolutely, without a doubt, we are going to change how this is done. So, and so, this so let me ask a question, if I may. Please, um, please. Two, twice you've mentioned this word best. So you talked about interviewing <laughs> the best, and then you talked about the best of the best. Uh, who determined the criteria for the best? Oh, that's, and that's really good. That's that's really good. And, and um, for me, that comes down to the best in terms of I looked at organizations where, you know, level five leaders or level five organizations where the internal operations, the internal employees say, these are the best organizations to work for. Right. Right. Not for them to say I'm the best. So it's right. So basically the criteria is for, so it's not necessarily the most successful companies, it's the organizations where people want to work the most. Yes. So those could be organizations that have the least challenge and the least success and the least um, drive and the least motivation because actually everybody's really happy just doing nothing. Contentious for a minute. Ooh, well, um, that people are, these have to be organizations that are also top performing organizations. So they're not organizations where people just simply say, oh, yeah, I'm um, um, like one of the organizations that has been on that list is VSP, uh, Vision Service Plan, it, which is a, um, uh, um, you know, a, a U.S. based company and an unusual um, industry and, and why those employees say what they say. Um, another one is actually a, a, a company out of um Wisconsin that is uh, they make sausage and their organization turned the um the internal operations for hiring and firing and giving promotions to the to the employees and they in turn changed how um recognition really happens right. and you know and so you know organizations where if research shows that the 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 reason why people leave companies is primarily because people don't feel in on things or they don't have challenging work it's not it's not necessarily a money based. However, you know, did I look at companies that are failing financially? No, because the criteria does take that into consideration. But does it mean that a company that makes 10, 10 billion dollars versus ten million dollars would constitute as more successful leaders? Not necessarily. Would you? Would you? Would you? But that. that 
I remember talking to a private equity owner once, and mm-hmm. he said there are leaders who are great for startups, great for second levels of funding, third levels of funding, SMEs, large organizations, super large organizations, PLCs, blah, 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 blah. And his challenge to me was that most of the leadership world is focused on those huge, huge, huge organizations with statement leaders. You already mentioned Elon Musk, but most organizations aren't like those. They're they're, they're right at one end of the bell curve. And and I find it two things quite interesting. One, which is all the research is focused there as if the assumption is everybody should be like them, which is quite a scary assumption. And the second is one of the most successful companies I've ever run into in my life. And, and I mean successful in terms of EBITDA, its ability to motivate, pay top quarter, have the most satisfied, most most meaningfully uh, joyful members of staff did everything, everything wrong. There was lying, cheating, bullying, all sorts of stuff going on. Yet the satisfaction levels were amazing. The returns were best. There was um, open internal corruption. Uh, there were, and yet, so I'm wondering whether that there's a sort of there's there's two ends of the bell curve, which were each of which are equally successful. And and I'm in my own think at the moment as I write my next leadership book. I'm thinking, actually, is there a model which is the far end which you're you're in, and is the dark end? Because as soon as you put personality into the mix, well, what about the narcissists, the control freaks, the dark personality people, the borderline disorder people? I mean, they're all people who are massively successful. I agree. Who drive an organization in a to- totally sort of way. And people's purpose can be great, yeah, because it's all about serving me. And you can see the whole coherence coming together. So some of the th- some of the issues the leadership models is they work equally out well for evil as they do for good. So I just wonder whether you I just wonder whether you could wrap your head around that sort of slight rant. <laughs> No, I, I I agree. I agree completely. And that's the reason why it depends on what you measure. And you mentioned about the, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, about the private equity company. I remember several years ago, there was somebody who reached out to me in a private equity company and said, I'd love for you to be able to serve on our board. And I said, why me? Where'd you find me? And why me? And they said, Um, I found you on LinkedIn and the reason why is because of X. And it was a particular story that I had written an article on and, and I said, okay, but what in the article and what in the research that came up with, and they said, empathy, empathy answers 18 questions for us on leadership. And so for me, when I'm looking at the type of leader and I say the, you know, the best we're looking at what people are saying and you're you are one you know gazillion you know per, percent right there are leaders there are organizations that are organizations that are profitable financially successful organizations that are run by narcissists and people who are downright um evil evil, just, just awful to their, to their people. So, so, so absolutely. And there are organizations that I have gone into some where I our, have said, some of, our current pro- some of our most current politicians across the world are like that at the moment. If you and, look and at a I've, different sort of model of leadership. I've had to go into organizations, Russell, and say, I'm not a fit for what yeah. you want me to do here. Like I'm, I'm not the per- I'm not the person for you to to come in and do this. And so, you know, for me, what I look at is choice. 
and choices, people stay in organizations like that for a variety of reasons and choose to make excuses for what's going on for a variety of reasons. Do you know what? Um, do you know what, Lisa? There's there's um, something you said today that makes made me smile as you said it. And it's one of my pet things. And because you said it, everything you've said afterwards, I'm going to agree with, basically. And um, I love your P of priority. Because the idea when you go to organisations and you say how many priorities they've got, and they say, I've got 73, and you say, but there's no such thing as a priority. No, no the, the definition of priority is the one most important thing. So I love that you picked that out because actually it's one of my big bugbears and I really do enjoy you know talking to people like that. And um, and I think that's, I, and I think I like the way you've linked together these things because I think your point about vision and clarity is the thing. I, I forget, I think it was Cy Wakeman talks about the point that leadership is, leadership is about clarity and a good leader is clear. It doesn't really matter whether they've got a division, but whatever revision is just clear so everybody knows what it is. And then if you've got... Um, the priority worked out. You've got the plan sorted, haven't you? Because you've basically got the vision, you've got the plan, you, you're clear, you know what good looks like and you're measuring it. And that's it, really. I mean, I mean, just between you and I for fun, just whisper this in case anyone hears. <laughs> Leadership's really easy, isn't it, when it comes down to it? When it, when you, when it comes down to it, the confusion is that we define leadership in 73,000 different ways. That's the problem. So it's it sounds like a science when it's no more than an art. And actually, it's pretty easy when it comes down to it. Those of us who've led organisations know it's not all this hoo-ha that people are talking I mean, how do we write so many books on leadership, for goodness sake? It's hoo-ha, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I, hooey, I, I just remember the Americans call it hooey. I, I, um, I deeply appreciate you recognising the art of it all. Like, it's it's leadership is people and it's about influence and the way you do something and the way I do something based on our backgrounds and where we've been and well you said connection and I thought that was another yes. really uh wise thing because actually again something I violently agree with is this idea that you don't have to like the people you work with because they're not it's lovely if you're friends, but I, I literally was talking to a group. This, I don't know what it's one day today, it must be on Friday. A different cultures, but both of us said they were from Malaysia, it's a different part of the world, and it's different culturals, that type of things. And what they said to me was, Russell, the most important thing about leadership is that you are friends with your people. And I said, Well, hang on a second, do you mean friends or friendly? I said, No, friends. And then the next thing they said was, um, And the next thing, the question I was, What happens when things go wrong? There was no accountability. Okay, fair enough. So the third thing is, have you got any problems? Oh, terrible. <laughs> you can't get anybody to do anything. I said, could you, could you relate those that problem to the two earlier statements? It's like, oh. <laughs> but, you know, I think the idea of building the appropriate connection is the key here. Whichever connect and whichever culture you're in, it's the appropriate connection and not needing to be friends. I mean, the challenge is that a lot of people find their partners in the workplace and it's it's sort of become a community based on friendship, which is there's nothing the matter with friendship, but it shouldn't be the objective, I don't think. So what, what do you think about that in terms of culture as well? Well, I, you, you and I are on the same 
in the, in the sound, the same page with that. And it's not something that was innate to me when I was in law enforcement, I didn't get that. No. I really thought that, um, the liking people was important. And I watched my grandfather be a very likable man. And what I recognized, and and, it, it, and so I had this interaction with this man who was, who played softball on a team where he didn't like any of the people. And I said to him, why do you play on this team? Like, you know, this is a guy that I, uh, that I worked with. So why, why do you, I, I don't understand. Like, I, I don't, like, why would you give up a Saturday and you're going to go and spend a whole afternoon to play softball with these people you don't like? And he said to me, what does liking somebody have to do with winning? Yeah. And he said, each of them is, is the best at what they do. And we win. Yeah. And I went, that's oh, that's interesting. So organizational objective, if the organizational objective is to be profitable to, you know, or, or to move this forward or whatever it is, and the right people are in the organization, does it matter that they're all friends or they all like each other? No. However, if they are not willing to connect for whatever needs to be accomplished and they create a barrier to whatever needs to be accomplished, then the final outcome does not, does mm. not happen. Mm. And so that's the greater good, not so much the, I really like you. I really, you know, I, I agree with everything you say. And so I didn't get that. And so my understanding growing up with my grandfather, since he was such a likable man, was that that was necessary. Yeah. And um, so, that that interaction with that gentleman really had me mm, question, you know, what what yeah. really was most important and then and then translate that into other aspects of yeah. life, leadership, business. And, and I think that's interesting, you see, because I think, and, and we're going to just come to this as a sort of final point, perhaps. I think that idea that you need to be liked is a, an actual point of genuine psychological vul vulnerability. I can't say vulnerability. I can't say it. Being vulnerable. <laughs> Got it there in the third time, lucky. Um, but I think that's psychologically psychologically vulnerable. So you're talking about uh, vision, vulnerability and voices. So what do you mean by that? Because the thing is, the trouble is with all this us and social psychology is that we just use the same word over and over and over again to describe lots of different things and then wonder why people are confused. So so what, what what's your view on that, being vulnerable? Vulnerability, the, That's That's you know, the if, if clarity was the hidden piece to vision, vulnerability is hidden piece is forgiveness. No, oh, okay. the, the ability to, and, and forgiveness is not about the other. It's not, okay, this person wronged me. And so I forgive them. Forgiveness is of self. You know, um, you know, you've spoken about psychological safety and resilience and, and, you know, the, it's, it's value. And yet what I, or, or, and what I, what I see in organizations is people hold on to things that happened many not not just days ago, but weeks and years ago, and it affects them as an individual and then whatever it is that they want to accomplish. And then the things that happen to them outside 
that they didn't do or that they fell short or failed or whatever, they also bring those components into the workplace. And so when you're dealing with leaders that are, um, that haven't dealt with their own stuff, you know, I, I, forgiveness in the team, forgiveness in, in, um, you know, in themselves, you know, affects the ability to perform is the bottom line. And so you can't get to vulnerability and me sharing something if I don't actually, if I actually am carrying all sorts of, of stuff with me. Yes. Interesting. If only we had longer, but sadly we don't. Um, and I need to be respectful of your time. So tell people how they can get in touch with you. Uh, what's, what's, the, um, what's the best way for people to find out more about what you do? Uh, best way is to go to my site, uh, www.upsidethinking.com, U-P-S-I-D-E-thinking.com, and continue the conversation. Is it actually my calendar's online? I This is work that I really love, and so uh, connecting with me there is, is a great way to continue the conversation. Brilliant. And you mentioned LinkedIn, so I'm guessing you're on all the social media channels as well. I am. I am. Facebook's and LinkedIn and, you know, are the primary places that I spend time. Yeah. Writing and of course, articles. you'll be you'll be launching a new retreat in the new farm with the 87 acres. And that will be, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine that, how awesome that will be. So what's the plan for that? Well, I, I, I did three retreats there this past year, and I'm going to be doing a new, um, what I call challenge course in, in the new year, which is mind, body, and spirit, but it's, there's like physical challenge that's involved in it. Good. And just so excited about that. It'll be my upside warrior program. And I can't it just the the ponds and the views and the ability to come to a place outside to do work i you know is has been life changing for so many people and i look forward to continuing that throughout the new year brilliant well this has been a joy to talk to you i love some of your ideas and um and i think they're absolutely brilliant and very practical and very easy to engage with and and it's been a delight to talk to you today so thanks for spending time with us and all the very best just to re re um reconfirm that's upsidethinking.com brilliant thank you very thank much you. today thank you thank you russell this has been a joy Pleasure. you're such a brilliant you're such a such a brilliant man you're very kind um I'd like to say you're a brilliant woman, but I don't, never know how that works out. So that's very <laughs> kind anyway. But you take care. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.